The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q&A, there may be extended periods of silence. All right, come on in. We're going to get started on this session, and I don't want to cheat you on any time with uh, Pastor Doug here, and uh, we, we wrap this up at 1.30, and I know you guys want to sprint to the food trucks as well, and so we're going we're gonna to get it going here. Uh, our, next, our next speaker is uh, Pastor Doug Logan, and he's going to work with us on fundraising. So we talked a little bit about uh, the theology of, of money and how to steward money, how to develop people in stewardship. That was kind of our last session. And, uh, and so now we're going to talk about uh, how, to, uh, how to raise funds so that you have something to steward and you have uh, something to theologize about and, and you can begin uh, developing your church. And so uh, Pastor Doug Logan planted Epiphany Fellowship Camden, planted out of Epiphany Fellowship in Philly. And I was telling him before the session, he understands that East Coast uh, culture better than just about anyone I've ever talked to. One of, the, one of the best missiologists we have in our network. And so if you, especially if you're looking at that area, I'd encourage you to connect with him, uh, talk with him. He gets, he gets that, that culture. And so uh, he's, a, he's a great missiologist, a great missionary, uh, one of the, uh, a great theologian, and also has done a great job at fundraising. And so I asked him, I heard him talk uh, Tell, tell me a little bit about what he did fundraising, and I said, you need to teach our, our new guys that, and so I asked him to do that. So come on up, brother. I'm going to pray for you to get you going and then, and then let you run. Father, thank you for Doug and the work that you have uh, done through him and the wisdom that you've given him, and all of these guys that we've gotten to hear from uh, in the last couple of days are, are men who you've gifted and you're using, and Pastor Doug is uh, not only not an exception to that. He's maybe one of the best examples. And so I pray that uh, we would just glean insight from him during this time. I pray your spirit would be on him and would be present in the room with us. Uh, we especially need your spirit at noon on Friday when uh, if we were, if this thing had been scheduled normally, we'd be eating lunch now, but it's not going to be for another hour and a half. So, so just give us, uh, give us uh, energy right now to engage this very important subject. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. And Pastor Hunter Beaumont is, man, just a godly, godly dude. Um, one of the um, guys I really look look up to, and um, he's, just, he's just a rock-solid, steady Eddie, man. Just loves Jesus and shows it off. So it's an honor. Um, I was encouraged to be, to be invited. Um, we Fellowship Associate Cats together. He's a real one. I'm a bootleg one. And um, I just love what he's doing, and he's, he's just a good, good dude who I really look up to, man. So praise God for him and running this track. You couldn't have a better cat running this track to get to help um, aid in you guys getting uh, the necessary spreadsheet and database, if you will, to plant a healthy church and raise money in a healthy way. So he's prayed. I'm just going to jump in. Um, I'm going to use my thing. So... Um, Again, my name is Doug Logan, Epiphany Camden. I'm a church plant of 10th Presbyterian Church and primarily Epiphany Philly. I did a dual residency there with them. That goes you, right? Praise God for you, bro. And did a dual residency. And then I planted um, out of Epiphany Philly, did two years there, um, and went to Epiphany Camden, planted Epiphany Camden, started in 2011, and then launched publicly, whatever that means, in 2012. Um, yeah, um, married about 20 years, three kids, um, 26, 17, and 16, and three grands, three grandkids. So, yeah, that's my context. And I'm in Camden. For you don't, who don't know that, Epiphany Camden um, is in Camden, New Jersey. Last 20 years, 13 of those years, Camden was the most dangerous, most violent, most poor city in America. Um, this year, we, we're, we, we got the belt again. Um, who did we beat out this year? I think we beat out Detroit. Um, I wish they would take the belt, and we don't want it. But um, they are the most, we are the most dangerous, most violent, most poor city, highest illiteracy. Um, to give you context, we, we, we lost our police force last year. We didn't have the money to pay them, so we had about 12 police in the most dangerous city in America for about a month and a half. Um, if you hear Matt Chandler's sermon on Nehemiah 1, he talks about that. 
And um, when he said it, I, and I live in Camden, I wasn't even that discouraged until I heard him say it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, <laughs> I was like, dang, Matt, you make it. You know, I'm, I'm moving. You know, I'm about to come to Dallas. So, um, so, yeah, so that's context for you. So a lot of stuff I'll say in terms of support raising, um, that's, that's sort of where I am and, um, and where I was going. So a lot of that context had to do and played a role in, and played a role in my church planning. So we'll roll here. I think I'm doing this right. Oh, that this over there. Cool, cool. So here's the idea for support raising, just on a simple premise. This is my practical, and we're going to jump into scripture in a second. The ultimate idea when you're sharing your vision to seek to raise support. You've already done the other tracks. I'm not going to reteach what those guys already laid out. They laid out the theology, the stewardship, right, Pastor, Pastor Hunter? So now I'm talking about how are we going to think through, pray through, develop a proposal to now begin to jump into a plane, onto a train, and go and do the big ask. And so um, helping you with that is when you think through, and I would suggest you think through with a team how to come up with that. That's what I did. I thought through with a team, and I had multiple people at the table. I had some old white Presbyterians at the table. I had Pastor Mason and a couple um, other cats. I talked with various people. So I wanted to get a perspective and bounce off all my stuff, what I was thinking, to make a comprehensive proposal that didn't seem like begging but felt more like calling people to the vision that God had called me to. Because remember, here's your presuppositional reality in church planning. If God has called you and you're going, if they give or not, doesn't matter, right? So you can raise with reckless abandon, humbly believing that God's vision will come to fruition, right? So the plan for the preferred future. You, you're, gonna, you're just going to do the crook. You're going to deal with the crookedness. Deliver us from this crooked generation. We've heard that in Acts and crisis and the cross. That's what my proposal looks like. I deal with the crookedness of the city for me in Camden. I just told you all of it. More single parent homes than any city in America. Highest high school dropout rate. 78,000 people in the city of Camden and only 37% of them have a high school diploma. The average of the other some odd 60% goes to about the ninth grade. Talk about Bible study. you got to find the page for them and then help them sound out each word in my city. So, and so I want to talk about the crookedness, but I don't want to major on the crookedness because I want to get and then and I want to talk about the crookedness, the, the, the systemic crookedness in the city. And then I want to talk about the crisis, the spiritual crisis that's tied in to that systemic um, legislative laying the police off, water in Camden, New Jersey. I got an email November 1st saying, starting October 1st, don't drink the water. I want you to get that. I got an email November 1st saying, starting October 1st, the one prior to November, don't drink the water. The particles had so much mercury, it, would, it, it, it could be cancerous. And I got the email November 1st. I want you to get that. And so, so that's all tied into the crisis in the city. Um, and, and the crookedness, and you blend that, and then I want to hear in your proposal as a church planning pastor, I want to hear in your proposal about the crookedness. I don't mind that being a, 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 a I like one-fourth, and then the crisis about one-fourth, but then I want to be able to hear about a half of your proposal about how you plan to elevate the cross of Christ into this crookedness and this crisis, and you're going to bring the cross. Why did I have to say that? I get proposals from church planners. Well, we don't have no money anyway, so I just like getting them because people think we do. Amen, somebody. And so I just read them, and I like to steal their ideas because they're so awesome sometimes. And I just feel bad saying sorry. You know, I just get them two for 20 at Applebee's. And, um, <laughs> but a lot of times, like one dude sent me, gave me a proposal, and it was like, Pastor Hunter, it was like, Three quarters crookedness. And then at the end, it was like, um, but grace can work, you know. <laughs> Give me money. I'm like, bro, what's, you've only told me the crookedness. You haven't told me what you think God is doing using you to go. 
You've only told me how bad it is. And so we have to move to calling people into the vision of God and not just guilting them in to the crookedness of the context. Very, very important because most people won't read it. And if your sermons are all masochism and then you say grace at the end, that's bad too. So your sermons are probably loaded with grace throughout the sermon. So put that throughout your proposal, how the grace of God is at work. I'm going to keep rolling here. We must communicate our compassion, the gospel-centered drive we have. We must communicate the context, who are we reaching. We must, com we must communicate our commitment, Christ's call. And we must communicate conversions, Christ's commitment to that context. And we must have community connectivity, who's following you. So when I look at proposals, I want to hear if you're a church planter and God has given you this divine call, tell me how can I help me gauge that, right, with who's coming with you. And you can help me also gauge it with what is God doing in and with you now with unbelievers, particularly the least last and the lost, if you're near the area where you're going to be planting there or wherever you are, if you're in a whole nother state, tell me about the disciples you've made and how people are walking with Jesus because Jesus used you to impact them. If all you tell me is theoretical discipleship, I'm going to give you theoretical money. <laughs> That's just what I'm going to give. So if you give me actual, if you tell me about what God is actually up to and using you to do it, now you're calling me into the vision of God. You're not calling me necessarily to you. You're showing me what God is doing, and I want to get on board with what God is doing. Blackaby says, so often we come up with, we often want to do something for God, so we ask, so we come up with something, then we ask God to get on board when we ought to find out what God is already doing and get on board with him. So that must be our posture in here. So compassion, I love compassion, but I like compassion with a plan. Um, so sometimes your proposal can be all compassion, and you're like, well, how are you going to do it? You see what I'm saying? And I've read proposals like that. It's been like, man, we love the city. Man, the city is awesome, man, and we love the people. It's awesome, man. So if you got awesome more than your, what you're going to do, then I'm it's going to be confusing. And this is vital and important because let, let me tell you why. It's almost a first impression-y type of thing with a lot of mission boards because they're receiving so many proposals. So if yours is convoluted and confusing, they're going to move on to one that's not. And God can be with you. He could be up to crazy stuff. But if we don't communicate that well, then we'll get just thrown in a stack of stuff on a desk, hidden away. And for them, it's just like, oh, well, we got this other one. And for you, it's like, dang. When I talk to them, they seem like they was on board. And then you grow a bitterness for half the churches that don't give you nothing. And, and then you're, you can get depressed and stressed out and start doubting your calling because such and such church didn't call you back because you had a confusing proposal. And so, yeah, this is something you got to take your time, work out, bounce off of people. And what I did was I gave it to some church planners, to some pastors of some larger churches, and I said, listen, I'm not asking for money. kind of am, but first, <laughs> can you read it? And if you read it, would it be so confusing that you wouldn't give it? And I got a lot of feedback that way. And I've modified a lot in my time of my proposal. I probably got 11 copies. I mean, um, I got complained. You know, I, the, the, if the comp some people are just going to be complainers. Don't worry about them. God only wants you to have their money sometimes. But there's going to be some legitimate points where they'll be like, boom. And here's one of my points was I use the language support. And um, the pastor says, that I gave it to, I was talking to him. He says, we'll support you. I said, cool. He says, we're going to be praying for you all the time. <laughs> I'm like, nah, um, money. <laughs> he says, about time you asked me for some money. Don't be scared to use the M word. Please ask people for money. 
Don't just ask them for support. Don't just ask them to get behind the vision. Ask them to give you some money. (laughs) Because if you don't, they will not. You ambiguous, they'll be ambiguous. You ask for some ambiguous money, you'll get some ambiguous money. Often equals the sandwich they bought you when you were telling them to support you. That's just it. I'm not even being funny. It's just ambiguous. Don't be, at the end of the day, have no problem asking for some money. I'll give you another example. I was at a big old Presbyterian church sent by some big old Presbyterians. And I was there, man. I preached. I I, I quoted Calvin several times so that folk would, you know, think I was white enough to be there. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And um, at the end, the dude came up to me because I had my little table out front. He said, what do you need? I said, what do you mean? He said, how much money do you need? So I gave him a number like $20,000. He wrote me a check for a thousand and handed it to me. And he walked away, like disgusted with me. And I was like, what, what, what did I say? He gave me a thousand dollars like it was hush money, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, take this money and shut up. He went back and told the pastor that brought me, this is what he said. Doug told me he was going to a nasty city worst city in America, and I'm a millionaire. And he asked me for a nickel. I'm a millionaire, and you asked me for $20,000? You ain't got no vision, Doug. Take this $1,000 and get on out of here. Don't be scared to ask if you have a big vision. You have a big God, so you can have a big vision. So your humility is in your serving not in the thing you want to do. So you got to re-ask yourself what the vision is. That's why you sit down with some folk. And if the vision is what you can pull off in your lifetime, it's a raggedy vision. If your vision includes your great-grandchildren planning with grandchildren of former racists in cities where black folk weren't allowed, now we talking. Nobody wants to give to no corny we're going to have a good church in some children's ministry. We're going to call it Kingdom Kids, and we're going to have pizza and Pepsi, and we're going to preach reform theology. I just need 20000 Take this 1000 and shut up. That's what he told me. So please dream big, okay? Dream big. Huh? <laughs> the next year he gave me $300. I got worse, I guess. <laughs> Gave me like 300 bucks. I, oh, I, I took it. And you know, amen, somebody. <laughs> so your compassion with a plan, your context. So I like those five, and you mix that and match that within your proposal. Second thing I did in that was I asked questions to the people. What questions would you ask? And so I did the why Camden. Who and who's in Camden? Um, what's it about? So the questions that you think they're going to ask, put that in your proposal. I, I, I'm so mad. Mine just would not open up on my computer. So that's there. And so, so, so remember, it's a Christ-centered purpose. It's centered in Christ, the preferred future that the gospel brings through the cross. We understand that. Um, now we have to communicate this Christ-centered purpose for raising loot. I think is um, encapsulated in some of these. I'm sure you can have a different alliteration. You can use whatever letter you want to alliterate that, but simply get that on. Also, now, let's move to clarity. And, and, and so that's what I'm saying. I don't want you to do a convoluted, confusing proposal. I want you to do a good demographic study. Um, they can cost between three and, three and 600. Um, I think one is called Precis, and that's a good one. Precepts. Yeah, um, percepts. Amen. Just put demographic study in, a bunch will come up. <laughs> Amen. Pick one of those. Um, yeah, and, and you want the one that is, is not exhaustive because you'll be angry. 
because it'll be finite. I mean, mine said literally, and I'm not being racist here, is like you have 0.4 Eskimos. Like, I'm like, come on, man, you're killing me. That, I mean, I don't need it parsed that low. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, so get one that's less, that's not super, super exhaustive, because then they'll break down like the percentages of the percentage of the race in a person. So they'll like come up with, you know, one third, one quarter Indian, stuff like that. It's just goofy. So I mess with that one. Don't use that one. And it wasn't pre percepts. It was, precepts was the good one. And then there's city data. I use that one as well. That's generic. That's online. You don't even got to pay for that one. But it's just not necessarily clean in that it uses census. And in the hood, listen, black folk, Puerto Rican folk, poor folk don't come to the door when some people knock on the door with a, with a, with a, with a clipboard. They're not coming to the door. So the demographics in Camden are not real because they was knocking for months. And nobody, look, I'm not, I don't even have no warrants and I wasn't coming to the door to answer no funny white people asking me about who, how many people live in my house. <laughs> That's just not natural in the hood, so the demographics will be off. So um, city data can be wrong a lot. But in suburban cities, often it's pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. And so historic milestones. I like that, like there's different places, you know, a lot of cities have historic realities that you can steal from and almost use the little moxie of the city to play on even for the name of your church and the restorative thing that the gospel can do that that thing thought it was going to do okay let me i'll give you an example in camden new jersey um walt whitman lived there for many years walt whitman the poet and he wrote a he wrote in the 1850s he wrote a poem about camden new jersey he lived on mickle boulevard which is crack central right now and he wrote it's, it's called the city invincible and he was sitting in his bed looking out the window, and he says he sees a, a great city. He dreamed a dream of a great city that was invincible. And so I remember everybody said, you should name your church the Invin Invincible Church. I said, I'm not doing that. And uh, <laughs> But so on that Invincible Church, in, some, in my proposal, I talked about his lofty idea that the city was invincible because at one point Camden was the bustling, one of the most bustling commerce-rich cities in America, and that's over. But the dream he dreamed about, his lofty dream from a non-redemptive idea was the city was invincible. And so I played on that with Hebrews that we're looking for a city that's not made with hands, right? And I talked about the authentic invincible city is the city of God in which Jesus Christ reigns and rules, and we come to declare this kingdom is here. So that's in my proposal. I just played on that. I took a picture of, it has Invincible City on the top of our municipal building, and I played on that, and it really had a nice little personal touch to that. So find some historic milestones in the city, and don't be scared for some of my cities that are racist to try to redeem the wrong, turn the crookedness, into something right. There's some cities that are just highly racist. And like um, Pastor Larip, um, Brian Larip, he, he talks about, you know, a lot of evil and racism in Memphis that he's spins it on his head through preaching how the, the cross changes all that stuff. So talk historically of what the people in the city were up to, but ultimately what God is up to to make this city lofty. When I was in Philadelphia, I passed it on. You know, in, in Epiphany Philly, when I was on staff there, they're on Diamond Street. I, my old church, Calvary Bible Church, was on Emerald Street. So somebody had some lofty ideas about the city, diamonds and emerald. So I played on that as well. So play on some of that historic stuff. There's an actually nine church called Liberty. And their symbol is the Liberty Bell with a cross on it. See what I'm saying? So play on those historic milestones and try to redemptively show how the gospel gets us there, not the ideas of just men trying to make a city great. Cultural challenges. Deal with those. Your city has them. Suburban cities have cultural challenges. So don't think you got to go find a hood to find a problem. If you got a person, you got a problem. So you can find it. Guarantee you. <laughs> Points of high traffic. Um, you know, we talk, yeah, and that's another, that's another big thing, points of high traffic. What is mainly happening? Points of high traffic is in some cities like, like in Dallas. I mean, I don't know how this works in the church plan proposal, 
but doggone it, everything here is about some sort of sport. I mean, they got, they got high schools with NFL stadium looking stuff. You know what I'm saying? Isn't Friday Light Nights Texas? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so the high traffic, the points of high traffic ideas play on that as well as you clarify your proposal. And neighborhood landmarks that you're in play on those. And what you plan on doing on mission mixed in with all of that. And don't forget to ask them how much money you need to accomplish the vision. And don't be cheap. Ask them for some money. That brings me to some theological stuff I want to jump in here a little bit. But in Genesis, we see Abraham going to the mountain after walking against what God's the vision of God. His baby mom, I had a baby for him. That wasn't his wife. He wasn't in arrears in child support. But yet God said, take your son, your only son, to Mount Moriah to kill this child, right? He gets up early in the morning and he makes his way up the mount to do so. I love that he gets there and we know he tells his servants, plural, me and the boy, we will be back. We're going to worship and we will be back. That's our resurrection reality that he believed in hope beyond pressure and problems, that God was going to do something because he promised already, right? And so through that promise, through that reality, he goes up the mountain with his son, his only son that Yahweh had told him was Isaac, not Ishmael. And so they carry the wood up. Isaac, Isaac is carrying this wood up this mountain, obeying his father, going to be slain at this altar. He gets there, believing in the hope, the promise that God is not a man that he shall lie. When he calls, the phone actually rings. He doesn't hit ignore, and you can't hit ignore even if you hit ignore. It's coming to be, and he gets there. And often in that story, people talk about the faithfulness of Abraham. Man, I want to talk about the obedience of Isaac. Old impotent man, father, you know, cheated on his mom, you know what I'm saying? And Isaac wasn't no six years old. He was like 17. I would have just said, Dad, I'm, you can't catch me, bro. You're not, you're not going to kill me. I'm going back down the mountain. Come get me. Your bad knees. <laughs> but he was obedient, right? And we see the Christological reality. We see Isaac carrying the wood. We see Jesus carrying the wood up the mount. We see the obedience for Basically, Isaac volunteers and submits to the father. He lays his life down. And Abraham goes ahead and to kill him. And we see it, we hear Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. Of course, we know on Calvary there would be no voice to stop the murder of our king and our savior, but he would be killed. However, on Mount Moriah here, Isaac would not be. And beyond the hope and the promise and the reality stretched him to the end and the limits of his heart and his life to the murder of his son. And yet in the midst of that, God provided because he had already called him. He doesn't uncall. And he walks back down a, a better worshiper because of the hell he just went through. With that said, God had already given him a big vision, so big he was willing to obey God to the point of murdering his own son. That wasn't cheap. God told him, listen, your offspring are going to be as if the sand, <laughs> as if the stars in the sky. That's a, that's a big vision. But yet, he's, he says, well, if we're going to do this, since you're wilding, I'm going to kill your son. High cost. Big vision. Your big vision has a high cost. You came all the way to Texas to talk about it. Your wife is nervous about it right now at the house. Some of you have some good jobs that you're going to lose some money, worried about raising support. 
most of the people don't plant churches because they don't want to support raise. And they don't want to come off the loftiness that their, their regular job, non-Christian job, has provided a level of comfort. That's why this room is, that's why the, we're packed. But all the people that talk about church planting in this country, we, we, we would need two more urban Bible churches. But here's where the rubber meets the road. This is where they all quit. You telling me I got to go beg for money? No, I'm telling you, you got to go fulfill the call of God and walk that mountain and put it all on the line if God has called you. And if God has called you, he ain't called you to no cheap dollar store vision. People's lives are, <laughs> do you know what lays in the balance? The least, the last, and the lost are waiting on you to hear this gospel and move them from the, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And we're arguing about, well, I really want 60000 for a salary. And I don't know if I can support raise because I can't be going around begging for money. I've got an MBA. Shut up then. Go on home. Because you can't have no pacemaker and plant no church. This, ain't, this, this, is, this is rugged stuff. You know, I love The Walking Dead. I call church planters like The Walking Dead. It's one of my favorite shows. But you know what church planting is? In The Walking Dead, they just stab them in the head and kill them and survive. <laughs> church planting is you got to go to The Walking Dead and try to come up with a formula to heal them while they're trying to kill you. <laughs> it's different. You don't get to stab them and drop them down. <laughs> you got to hold them <laughs> while you're mixing some potion <laughs> and testing it on them. I'm in the hood, bro. I've seen multiple people murdered. Let me tell you how costly the reality is. I've showed you the biblical reality. I'll give you a practical personal story. My first church plant meeting, 2011, April, I, April 4th, I said to the 67 people that showed up, hey, guys, I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited, man. I've been waiting for this a long time. And it's awesome that you've come to share in the vision of God to see it come to fruition, to see the invisible church made visible. And they were like, yeah, you know, people like good talking, swag, preaching, stuff like that. So I was talking like, yeah, the Holy Ghost is going to do some stuff. And I was like, yeah. And I said, some of y'all going to die and get killed in Camden, New Jersey for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> I got my Pentecostal on. I says, I don't got no help. <laughs> I can't get an Amen. <laughs> And I couldn't get an amen. And that reality hit them so hard in the face. The most violent murder capital of the, of the country. Top, and it's in the top 20 murder capital in the world. It's a good chance people on my team are going to die. That's really reformed missiology, isn't it? That's what Calvin was at the risk of death to plant them churches if you read his tracts and letters. He planted some underground churches at the risk of death. Missionaries left, packed their stuff in, in coffins because they weren't coming home. So we like Paul's theology, but his missiology is rugged. And so I had to tell 68 people, my wife and my two sons in the room, someone might die for the sake of planting this church in Camden. That's costly, isn't it? That's that Mount Moriah piece, isn't it? But the beauty story of that Mount Moriah piece, that same parcel of ground, some thousand years later, is the same place of Golgotha's Hill, where the greatest work of all time was ever done. And so Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Do you get that? Abraham said, I didn't have to kill my son because he was going to do something else. And Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And that moves us to the multi-generational... And I'm giving you context so you can suffer through this church plant and not be a, not be a scrub about it because Abraham, Abraham got the blessing of seeing it. Maybe you won't. However, when your great-grandchildren are a part of the church that you help plant and from that church they're planting, it's all worth it. Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He didn't see it then. He died at a ripe old age, but he, through hope over hope, was willing to kill Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, in order to accomplish this vision, he was willing to put it all on the line. Why? Because what lied in the balance was humanity's deep need for a savior. 
and he went through it and walked through it so that you and I, so we're products, aren't we, of Abraham's faithfulness to the Lord and God's faithfulness to his own self. When you go to your city, all the lost people that are there, that's what lays in the balance. So is it worth the pain and the pressure of church fundraising to plant a church? I got to say amen, it is. I'm from the hood. Nobody wants to come to me. Nobody wants to come into Camden and talk no Jesus. Half the people that are reformed and solid in theology don't, can't come to Camden because their student loans won't even allow them to work there. There's no historic reformed churches in the inner city. They don't make them. But I get heretic grenades because I'm not reformed and I'm in the hood. But they don't plant churches. So when we went to Camden, we wanted to plant a solid gospel-centered work. And it was hard, but it was worth it. I'm laying a foundation for this next stage. And so, so now that we're sure that we're called, we recognize what lays in the balance, that the souls of the city, that God is setting you up to see people that hate you come to love him. Now we can talk about commitments, but you got to have that commitment conversation before about what's at stake before we can actually talk about commitment. Because some of y'all might quit now. <laughs> so now we'll talk about commitments. We have to have a commitment to Christ-centeredness in our proposals and in our presentations, period. The neighborhood, your covenant community, comprehensive city reach, conversions, doctrine, vision, and the context. So in your proposal, I need you to communicate your Christ-centeredness. And don't just say we're Christ-centered a lot. Explain that. <laughs> don't be a gospel turkey. Gospel, 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 gospel. Just <laughs> missional, 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 missional. Just say it a lot. No, tell me how you're going to do it. The neighborhood. I want you to have a good working knowledge of your neighborhood. So when asked, you can pop up some good demographics and some live demographics that express what's actually the crookedness in the crisis. And so you can clearly communicate the cross at work in those systems. Your covenant community, you got to have a strong commitment to them because some of them don't have the passion you have. And so you have to shepherd them well, love them well, keep clear communication. And you have to communicate in your church plan proposal to the people that you are in close proximity in 1 Peter 5, shepherding the flock that's among you, not just shepherding the flock that you don't have. And then conversions. We have to continue to go after the least, the last, and the lost with the hope of the gospel. We can't get so vision-oriented that we spend all our energy on that. And that must be communicated in the proposal. It's got to be. And then your doctrine, your vision, and the context. Make sure they're all crystal clear. And those are your continued commitments. Your proposal will continue to change because you'll get new stories. You'll get new members. You'll get new issues in the neighborhood. Only thing that stays the same there is really your doctrine and your Christ-centeredness. Everything else is a moving target. So you got to be on your knees a lot, and you got to keep that little thing. You can't put it in PDF because it's going to be changing a lot. I mean, from the time I started raising support in 09 to 2012, I mean, I was on my seventh. Stuff was just changing so rapidly. So those are our commitments. See that money? You got you to plant. I just wanted you to see that graphic. I thought it was great. <laughs> Dang it. You got to dig for that loop for them people. <laughs> you got to dig the plant, don't you? You got to dig the plant. So um, disciple making, then the community. You got to talk about disciple making, leadership development, and church planning. And I want you to see that. Look, look at them pennies in that thing. It just feels like that sometimes. Doggone it. That thing makes me cry. I just wish one church would just give me a lot of money so I could be done. I'm sick of, I, I felt like a remote control talker at these things. I just get there. Well, yeah, see, the Lord, Christ-centeredness, commitment. I just <laughs> keep at it. Keep at it. And then the big ass, asking, big asking, small vision gets small money. Unrealistic vision never gets realized. And you must ask for the finances, have a five-year proposed budget. What was important for me in the inner city was a five-year proposed budget because immediately I got jumped on. Um, somebody donated from a large Presbyterian church, donated a 2,000 Acura TL to me. 
one of the white guys in church said, there it is. I knew he was a money preacher. <laughs> it was a free. I got it for free. Nah, that's because we paying them too much money. You didn't pay for this. I didn't pay for this. And so when I sat down with him before I kicked him out, I, I kicked him out. And when I sat down with him before I did, I showed him the five-year proposal that was public knowledge on what I get paid. Um, I don't do that for everybody. I'm not telling you to. But as he was exiting, I wanted him to see um, he really needed to repent. He was out of order. And he eventually told me he couldn't submit to a black guy anyway. But five-year proposal was so, is so awesome and good because it gives you a means to trek through and trek by. Even if it changes a little bit, that change has to come with a meeting of the mind. And um, so, yeah, and a lot of people, churches like to see that. They don't want to just see you randomly saying, I'll pay. Not necessarily because they think you're going to steal money, but because they, don't, because they want to see the, the increases and the hope of increases in salaries because the big vision you shared is going to include staff, right? Building purchases, right? So if the proposal doesn't expand, it's saying you don't really believe that big vision. So if you've got your salary going down, they're going to say, man, I'm not supporting this church. This guy, don't, he doesn't believe God's going to do nothing. So set that, that proposal up. I really got with a couple of planters that planted. To be honest, I just took four of them, mixed and matched them, and made mine. Beg, borrow, and steal. You don't have to be a wizard. Just be a thief. <laughs> Amen. Pastor Mason said, I'm going to turn you from a thief to a theologian one of these days. I said, right now, I'll just be a thief. And see that, see that little graphic, that piggy bank space available? I love that. <laughs> there's, there's room. <laughs> Resource versus comprehensive partnership. Hold up. I want to stop. Let me go back to my piggy bank. Any questions thus far? Go ahead, bro. I will, but I do it. Mm -hmm. At what point do you start moving those guys back and saying, okay, we're starting to get some of our own support and we're start letting you? Never. Never. Never push back. Why? Because in your church plant proposal, you're at Acts 29, right? What do we do? Singular vision? Plant churches. So your church ain't over. So you let them keep giving and you get ready for the next church. And if your budget is cool, save that money. And so first resident... First plant, you got loot stacked up, okay? You keep that money. Don't give it back. There's no pushback. And maybe that's just hood, but <laughs> if I get to a Mac machine, it starts going off. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and keep it. No, nah, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Um. I'm a one-trick pony. I got a budget pretty itemized, stretched out for five. It goes right in to those, those line items. So that's why it's so important to get a good budget, sit down with cats, set up, set up the vision meeting of what you want to accomplish, those top-tier things that you want to accomplish, and you just line it out where the money's going long before it comes. So for me, I set up a lot of, mer I set up a lot of you know, mercy loot because I'm in Camden. And... Um, so that was one of my highest things was mercy. Um, and then I was staffing. In the PCA, you know, cats get, um, you know, you get a salary based on the context. And so, of course, I'm in the most poor city. And so I get the least paid. I'm the least paid in the PCA because I'm in Camden. And so what we did was I cut my salary in half and divided it amongst two guys that I wanted to come with me. And then they had to raise so that was a big piece of mine, was that salary piece, that mercy piece, um, and evangelism. And then I had a piece there for church planning, but those were my primary numbers. And as I raised, they went in, and they were ready to go right out as soon as they got in. And then meeting space, of course. So that was pretty much it. Go ahead. Um, well, you, you at this conference, you got some cats to sit down with. Uh, you just tackle somebody. 
<laughs> dog, this is 829. It's 500 planters in there. If somebody is sitting down with you, and then, then I'm going to apologize now. I'll say, well, I'll do it. But there's, there's got to be actually on the floor to send me an email. I'll send an email to them. No, get. Okay, you mean in ter oh, so in terms of sort of like an elder board and advisory team and stuff like that to help you go through the process. Yeah, um, and that's all, that's all going to land back at, um, is it, is, am I past the time? Okay, okay, and, um, and I'm, so I'm just going to do only questions now because we're done, we're done. Um, so yeah, so your individual setup, I'm, a, I'm in a PCA, so I had a provisional session, so I worked a lot of that stuff out. I would encourage you to try to create that with some guys that you love, trust, and, are, and have been faithful and have done that well. And just, add, and just form your own advisory team if you can. Three cats is cool. Um, pull them in, tell them what you're dealing with, and help them make those processes. And they, I need them to be, I, want, I would love them to be, for them to be elders of existing churches. And just meet with them quarterly, set up some things like you won't spend past a certain amount without at least a text message vote, stuff like that. So you got an existing church, wasn't working, they got a budget, but yeah. So, so I would I would dry erase board, get it naked, go in there, and then do, and then do the priority things that would that would be you know in step with the context, in step with the gospel, evangelism, staffing. Of course, you got to take care of the building and things like that, and prioritize. And a short list, not a long list. Don't worry about all the ministries and all that stuff. So I would, I would prioritize four or five things. Of course, discipleship, evangelism, things would be high on my list, staffing in the building, and I would work through those slowly and let that expansion come. So just reroute the whole budget based on the new vision and the new direction you're going. And um, don't do that too hard and fast because they won't trust you and they'll fire you. So take your time. Okay, so you want a snippet-type proposal. You want, you want a long one and a short one. I have a 28-page one, and I got a six-page one. I've got a 156-slide PowerPoint, and I got a 30-slide PowerPoint. Sometimes you go into the room, and they want the 30. And sometimes they're just not nice, and they'll say, well, this is not enough. Say, no problem. Boop. Pop open 156 and a Snicker bar. <laughs> And so that's what I've done. So do double. And, and, and yeah, so you want to hint at these things. You don't want to be exhaustive. So a, a, simply a bifold is what I use. I use a, I use a, I use a thin, a, a small font. I use a nine. Nine is my font. Um, 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 Cambria is my font because it's small enough but easy enough to see. Nine font, um, smaller, you know, pictures, and just communicate clearly you have to almost communicate on your proposal like graphic-y. I'll show you one when, when we get done of mine. But PowerPoint it up, exhaustive and short. Pastor Mason said, do you believe that God has called you to Camden? I said, yes. Well, everybody you, that's breathing, Jew, Gentile, Buddhists, you share the gospel with. You share the vision of the gospel with them. So I didn't care who it was. If I was riding a bus, the bus driver was getting the vision. You know, so share it with whoever. Go hard. Individuals are much easier because they'll turn the check quicker. And so, and don't be scared of them $20 checks. Take them. $20, $20 is, is all right with Jesus. So do them and then still go after the churches, but sometimes they'll be slower. So go, I would go hard at both. I set up in some simple, also some simple ways, set up desserts. Um, 
So what we do is I just get dessert because I had no money, so I can only afford dessert. I couldn't afford the whole meal. So I would get cake, cut them up, put them all over the table with candy. I'd have the PowerPoint set up, and I would invite multiple groups to the house. I did about seven of those over that year, and then I would get groups of like 10 or 12 to come, and I would fully present the 30 proposal with the proposals on the table, the 30-slide PowerPoint, and I would um, say, I'm going to leave, and I had the room dim with some candles even so, and I says, I want you to pray about what God wants you, what God may be calling you to do, and we're just going to have some desserts, and you can ask me questions, and I'll follow up in about 14 days and see if you and your heart and my heart are meshed together for this vision. Do those all the time. Just make the room fly. They want it, you know, cheap fly. Don't do expensive. You know, I just did dollar store candy, cheap cookies, you know, stuff like that, and just had the room set up real nice. Yeah, mix up what you got, but that's going to be in stages. So sometimes by, the, by my sixth one, I had a whole bunch of more people that I didn't have at the first one. So that's, all, that's what I'm saying. It's always changing. It's all, your proposal will keep changing. It'll keep flipping because things will be happening in that process. And, and here's, a core, here's a core conversation I wanted to get here, and we don't have time for it, but I'm going to say it. Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas were sent off, right? It was good to the Holy Spirit and good to them to send them. So they were sent. That is one of your chief support-raising realities, right? You were sent. You didn't. You You didn't. You just didn't went. You know what I'm saying? You were sent, and so a lot of your support raising is going to come from the credibility of the sender. So if people have laid hands on you and affirmed the calling and the favor of God in your life to this, and you've had a season of faithfulness where you can show that. Well, when you get to the table, you make sure you mention the elders have affirmed and confirmed me to go. That's a lot of money right in there. So if you got all the best vision and no affirmation, I'm going to call your pastor if you send me a proposal. And if he says you're a renegade, I'm not going to give you a dollar. I'm going to send you back to him, Philemon. I'm going to send you back to go work it out. <laughs> so make sure that you are affirmed and sent. Do not have lofty ideas of planting a church on your own because your church don't believe in planting churches. You just become a renegade. You still have to leave there well. Acts 13 is not just some cute thing. Historically, it's biblical. You need affirmation. Apostolic transfer, go. Without that, and that was for me, a lot of support raising took place in my life. Dr. Eric Mason and the elders of Epiphany laid hands on me. Intense Presbyterian Church laid hands on me. And by the time I sat down, here's a big question I was asked all the time. Who else is supporting you? Who else, who is sending you? Can I call them and see if you are wilding in their church? Are you a kick out or are you a send out? It's the difference. And so by God's grace, I was a send out. And so by the time I get to these various churches, they're asking me. And by the time, and then, and, it, and listen, it was good. As, you know, I had good people who threw my name up there, Bill Wellens from Fellowship Associates. Pastor Mason announced that we're planning Doug, and so it opened a door for me to have easy conversations to raise support. So Acts 13 is real, and affirmation, listen, and please don't hear me saying, because there's some churches, listen, I'm from the hood. If I told my pastor in my National Black Baptist Church, I was planning a church, he'd have said, get out. Give me your ordination, you're done. So don't hear me acting like, oh, the guy who doesn't like you is gonna affirm, not always, but don't be that weak and quick to just be a rebel, still try to work it out. Be at peace with all men as much as it depends on me. So don't just be a renegade and swag out. Well, I'm planting because I listen to this, and these church, this church don't want to plant. See, they ain't in the gospel. So shut up, shut up, stop. So all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit can't work that out. So the Holy Spirit in all history gets to you, and you're the one that he can't work out. I just find that hard to believe. It can be worked out. Don't mean it's going to be pretty. It don't mean they're going to have a party for you. But can we get a good word about you in your exit, even if they don't like you? I think it can happen. I believe it can happen. So any more questions? Got about five minutes. Go ahead, bro. I'll ask a quick question about the whole Bible, Bible
Okay. I'm not against that. And so don't hear my stuff as controversial or the way. But here's my thought on that. God raises up a man to plant a church. And I'm okay with Bivoke if he can't raise it. But if you've got some money coming in because you have a job, I still get behind you. I don't know your guys necessarily. I know you, okay? And so in so doing, I believe God is with you, and therefore they're with you. As you follow, you're following Christ, they're following you. I'm, I'm not supporting like six dudes. I'm believing the vision of you, holding it to you. And so if you pump them as full-time and you stay by vogue, it's just going to be weird. So you being full-time and grinding at what God has called you to will make them full-time later. Don't you? I wouldn't make them full-time first and then me be full-time later because you know what happens? The guy who, that, that creates such a, a, a contentment, if you will, and I've, that's what I've heard. That's what I've seen. I know a pastor who did just that, and he had to fight for the pulpit at the end. And basically, the guy was basically saying, well, I'm really the pastor. I'm the one here all the time. He always at work. Well, I gave up my salary for you, joker. That's why you're there. And now you're trying to oust me. And so now people are looking at you funny because at the end of the day, when you came to pr present the proposal, you had those dudes with you, but I was listening to you. So uh, lead guy clarity is very important. Don't bring 75 people and then say you're supporting them. No, nah, I'm looking for a dude with some dudes. I'm not looking for just for some dudes. And so I'm plurality of, I'm plurality of eldership. Y'all know that. I'm not moving from there. I'm not moving from there, but lead pastor um, is okay. And that's who we're supporting. Acts 29, the network in itself, you're only an Acts 29 pastor if you're a lead pastor. <laughs> you need to know that. When I was lead pastor, I went through in 2006. When I stepped back, went into the residency, I was no longer lead pastor. I retook the um, Acts 29 assessment to come back in. It's not bad. It's cool. Any other questions? Sure. Well, man, for me, and this is going to sound bad, Pastor, it's going to sound bad. I was going to the worst city in America. So white guilt was the big part of my proposal. <laughs> Whether I pushed it or not, when I talked about Camden, people, people gave me pity donations. Like, Dag, it's that bad here, Doug. <laughs> you know, it's just, that's just the truth. And so I had a unique context and so many people felt so bad when they heard the stats that a lot of them gave. So the ice was broken with me on a lot of levels. But from a raw perspective, I'd say this, and, and, and this is what I didn't say because we're talking more about proposal, but, but God makes provision for the vision, right? You remember Abraham went up the mountain we talked about? There was a ram in the thicket. So he makes provision. If he's given you a vision, he'll make provision. So God makes the provision for the vision. All we're trying to do is good stewards of what he's called us to, and we want to do that well. So I don't want you to think none of these techniques are going to raise your money. But if God has given you a calling and given you the vision, these are going to help to be a part of stewarding well the vision he's given. And so in that, that comes back, brother, to passion. Because let me tell you something. You've asked people for stuff and never thought about it in all of your life, especially something you were passionate about. You never thought of how you were going to think about how were you going to ask. So I want this vision of God to bubble up in your soul so much so that you can't stop talking about it. I want you to be like a crazy Kirby vacuum salesman because <laughs> you don't have to tell them nothing. You can't shut them up. I want you to act like a telemarketer with this vision, and that's not even their vision. They work for a dude. And so, I, so the passion you'll have, brother, will disarm people and get past that queasiness. It will be awkward. But after a while, what you're constantly looking at is what I said earlier. The cost, the reality, the fact that the souls are in the balance. 
that just pushed me past the awkwardness because I wanted to see people who were dead in trespasses and sin raised to new life in Jesus. So, it, so that always fueled me when I went to those awkward moments and said, how do I ask? So I said, listen, man, I'm trying to plant this church. I want to see people get saved. I really need some money to help do that, and I need your partnership. So I could jump in like that, but I'm in extroverted and kind of weird. And so, but even then, I'm still nervous. So just, but all, always what I had in the balance was I want to see people go to heaven and be in relationship with Jesus. So that always helped me push past the awkwardness. That was my metamucil. <laughs> Kept me regular. <laughs> Go ahead, bro. All three. I got all three. I got the giving box in the back. I got the offering going around. I got online. And when I get ready to do offering, I tell them every Sunday, listen, we got a giving box in the back. We got an iPad. You can use mine. And you can, it's a fake kiosk. I'll hold it. I'll be the kiosk. You just come on up. And we got these plates coming around. Amen. Do all three. Um, if all three make your context uncomfortable, then feel it out and mix and match and see what does better. But my church, I'm in the, one of the most African-American, Latino cities in America. We got like 1% white. And my church is 60% white out of about 120 people. So go figure. I've never invited a white person to my church ever except my wife, <laughs> and I still got 60 white people. So it's so weird at my church. So like when I had the little thing in the back, black folk wouldn't put nothing in it. They didn't know what it was. They was like, what's that? You know, they thought it was like the Apollo log. They would rub it on the way in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And when, the, and when the place came around, my white people said, I didn't want to be, you know, flaunting my money in front of the poor people in Camden. So it was like a weird dynamic for us. So they wouldn't put their offering in because, like, the plate would go past four black people that didn't put nothing in. And then it would get to them when they put their thing in. They, they felt they were making them feel bad. So then I was like, yo, we got to figure this out. So that's why I have all three. Because white people still go to the back and put in the thing. Black folks still put in the thing. Can I tell you, and I'll tell you an offering thing. This will bless your soul. <laughs> now, you know I'm in a poor city in America. Now, we got some people. We're in the second worst project in America. It's called AV. It's the second worst in Camden. And since Camden's the most violent and dangerous city, it's the second worst in America. Watch this. Old lady been coming, just appeared at Costa She always wanted to argue with me about, well, y'all don't shout. Well, then you shout. That's why I tell her. You shout, then. You shout for us. Go ahead, shout. I won't stop you. Bring your tambourine. I don't care. Dance. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, I mean, I don't even care. And then, you know, y'all say Catholic in the old confession. Okay, we'll change it to universal. What you want, lady? So she just loves us now all of a sudden. And she says, because she wasn't giving her tithes until, you know, she felt comfortable. Last week, she put in a $2 scratch-off. <laughs> <laughs> In the offering. So she won $2. She put it in offering. Don't even laugh yet. Don't even laugh yet. She asked for her change. <laughs> we ripped it up and gave her $5. <laughs> the week before, somebody put in $5 and asked for change. She, he said, how much? He said, $2. Give me $2 change. So we gave him $2. He came back to the table. He said, I need another dollar. And then before it was all over, he wound up giving 50 cent. He asked for a change back three times. <laughs> Talk about support raising. <laughs> I got a scratch off. You know what I'm saying? And then one year we got a bunch of unscratched lottery tickets. <laughs> Here, here's my offering. If you win, just give me the tax deduction. <laughs> So that's just the truth. So yeah, so I do all three, bro. I do all three for our context. A lot of our white people put it into the thing and our younger African-American and white use online and our traditional off from the hood projects put it in the plate because they want change. So um, I think I can handle one more question because we're out of time. Between <laughs> the dry erase board, and 
Oh gosh, okay. Get the whiteboard naked, erase it. <laughs> GCM is great. Please go see them before you leave. But they are not the silver bullet. So don't go down here thinking that GCM stuff is the silver bullet. It's not. The Holy Ghost is. Father, be with these church planners. Lord, um, money is hard. A recession is crazy. Um, unemployment, crazy. And yet we're asking them to give money to, to us, but we're not. God, remind us that it's your money. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell therein. It's all your money. God, help us to be good stewards, that your money would help to fund mission to make your name most famous in the world. So give them courage and Holy Ghost boldness to ask boldly, not for a big, not just for a big amount, but for a big vision that you've given them. And God, I tell you that you would take away any shame or guilt in asking people for money. Because God, you're asking, we're asking people to buy into what you're up to. And that includes money. So have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. And, he, and, and so for that, I want to say this last thing. What I use on my proposal, and I'll show any, anybody in the back. I use these three things on my proposal. Prayer, partnership, and purse. I just wanted to make sure that was for free. That's what I use in terms of on my proposal. I need your prayers, 1 Thessalonians. I need your partnership, Philippians, and your purse, Philippians again. So those are the three ways I use to alliterate to sort of disarm the idea of just saying, I need prayers and cash. So you can say prayer, partnership, and purse. Oh, man, Lord bless you, brother. Can we have a copy of your proposal? Sure. Sure. If you're going to support me, then... Okay. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you. Sure, sure. Let me turn this off before I, get, before I say something bad. <laughs>